Know Thyself is dedicated to the exploration of the most rewarding task an individual can ever embark on, the journey to find oneself. Our intention is to investigate the universal principles that have equipped our species to seek the treasure of all treasures, self-knowledge. With your host, Daniel Powinski and Eduardo Manteca, this is the Know Thyself Podcast. Welcome to the Know Self Podcast. How's it going, man? It's going well. How about yourself? Good, man. Good to see you. Always good to see you. Uh, I'm Eduardo, and I'm here with Daniel. Hello. And uh, another episode. And um, yeah, we're just going to go right into it. You know, we're we're kind of taking a little break from Genesis and decided to continue these discussions of, you know, other um, ideas that we wanted to bring to the forefront in regards to like our mission with season two, but also, you know, kind of looking into ideas of the Gnostics and other um, uh, schools of, of, of mystery and mysticism that have kind of led us to this topic that, you know, sort of bring one idea all together into one place. And, and what I'm referring to the most uh, right now is, is the idea of this mysterious lodge in the sky. Right. So Dan and I were talking about this mysterious lodge in the sky that is often brought up in, you know, certain lectures, especially the one I'm referring to uh, by Manly P. Hall, that sort of holds the idea of this brotherhood of light, of this, this gathering, um, uh, of this council, I should say, of light, where, um, you know, individuals who have taken the approach to have this sort of invisible government that sort of, governs this light that we're all trying to get closer to and have a better understanding of through these lectures and through this understanding of occult um, information. But there's something about this that, you know, I thought we should put more emphasis on because even as you see me explaining and stumbling upon uh, my words is because it's sort of hard to put into a more clear understanding without not taking a deeper dive. So if we do bring up this idea of this white lodge or this um, this council of light in a conversation, we thought, you know what, let's let's dedicate an episode to this, and even maybe a couple episodes as to what this is and how long it's been around, and what it means for this brotherhood of light that even we find ourselves in through this organization with pot with the podcast and with our discussions of occultism. Like, there's got to be this purpose that we always talk about. What's the purpose of bringing all of these principles together? And we always say that it's for the application, but it's not just that it's what goes beyond the application and who's all involved as a whole unit in order to keep this momentum going in a time of darkness, we find ourselves in to be the light and to find out who's all within this one council of light. And so without further ado, I'll just have Daniel kind of give a, a better background and we'll have this discussion about it. I have a lot of pointers from different, um, or a lot of uh, subjects that came up within this one conversation that I'm, you know, finding fascinating through, again, one of the many uh, lectures of Manly P. Hall that, you know, Daniel and I started talking about it, which is like the esoteric in the modern world. And, and in that, in one of these lectures, uh, you, you kind of hear about, you know, how even American Indian groups had this sort of, um, mysterious lodge in the sky mm -hmm. that they would refer to. And so um, let's go ahead and get right into it, man. Cool. No, I love it. I love it. And I love how you just 
connected the American Indians because they're going to play a huge part in this understanding. And really, one of the one of the larger topics we're going to really kind of get into. We've really looked at Western mysticism. We've talked about Eastern mysticism, but the Americas had such an amazing aspect of a unified idea, even though with various languages. And you had huge barriers in land mass that separated Central from North and South America. Mm. But again, we're going to see again, it's like this: these similar topics are going to make themselves apparent. We're going to see this unified thought, especially on this topic that we're talking about today, which is this, the Great White Lodge. Right. Right. And we've, um, we've seen this actually in pop culture. They've spoken about it in movies. It's very briefly spoken in David Lynch's um, Twin Peaks. Yeah. So, you know, we have a lot to do with the the Black Lodge. Um, that's pretty much what the whole story is based upon. And there's not really much speaking about this Great White Lodge, but there is at the end of an episode, actually, Agent Cooper and the sheriff um, and a few other characters mention this idea that there's a counter op to this Black Lodge. And it's this, the, what they called the White Lodge. I mean, we kind of call it the Great White Lodge. And it's something that's not just made itself apparent in pop culture. It's not a new age um, idea. This is a very, very deep idea. Mm. And this is going to really kind of get centered back where we're really going to really see our first example of this is going to be in the Vedas. But right, this idea is actually pre-Vedic. Okay, so this is going to be really almost like your trans-Himalayan pre-Vedic cultures and cults that actually happened before the establishment of the Vedas. So we're talking about a very, very long time in history. So when Egypt was kind of creating its own, you had its counterpart in the East, which is going to be the organization of really the, the Indus Valley is going to kind of develop into this Hinduist um, Vedic understanding and the Vedas, which, you know, it is a great book to kind of study in um, collaboration with the Bible. Right. Because what you get with the Vedas is you get an older text and a much deeper, bigger text. Okay. Right. So the Vedas has a lot more information than you're going to find in the Old Testament. Remember when we were talking about the Old Testament, we speak about it as this like abridged version of creation. Like the Genesis story is very abridged. It would have been, if we would have all been sitting around a campfire thousands of years ago and the village elder was telling us this story, it would have been a lot longer than what we would have had in Genesis, right? right. We've known this, that Genesis is kind of this abridged story. So one of the things that the Vedas has is it has deep information about some of these aspects that the Bible just like barely mentions. Or when it comes to what we're going to kind of talk about today with this invisible hierarchy, it's very much veiled in the Bible. And we'll kind of speak about it because this is kind of what we talk about when we talk about saints in Christianity. Right. It's going to be these inter intermarries between this this like um, high beings and then between the material world. And there's kind of these um, in-betweens that are kind of help to administer and make sure natural law is developing correctly. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about today. But one thing we have to approach when we can even start thinking about this invisible kind of government that's right. this, you know, this great white lodge, is we really have to get to this understanding that ancients, especially the ancient Hindu populations and these pre-Hindu, pre-Vedic cults, really saw the invisible as real and the visible as the illusion. 
Right. Right. And this is a this is a difficult thing for us to understand in the West, but it really helps us kind of understand it. Now, now these ideas have merged because of Western influence in India and capitalism moving over there. And, you know, ideas are kind of spurting at this point. So that this this um separation isn't as clear as it used to be between mm-hmm. the East and the West, because with this whole globalization the east is the west now and the west is the east right we're kind of merging together and this is actually unique because this is actually what we're supposed to be doing at this time we're not supposed to just adopt an eastern philosophy we're not just supposed to adopt a western philosophy just like the world and the universe is blending at this time we also need to start blending our spiritual doctrines and our spiritual disciplines which is kind of what like alexandria was sort of approaching right. to towards you know it's yes. like having the both the both sides of the hemisphere come together, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm saying like in the Greek mythology that we understand in the modern time, in modern times, I should say, they had that already understanding that like this is a merge between right. what has come from the East and, and the Asiatic like approach to like philosophy to uh-huh. then this Western um, understanding and having both of them merge and have the real understanding of how gods walk amongst us mm-hmm. and what that means to have that spirit world merge within the physical world and like you just said which is the inversion of that of like hey the spiritual world is real and the physical world is the actual illusion like i love that you just said that because that's kind of how that was sort of accepted i should say right. in those times you know right and just think about how like Wild of an idea that was probably in the 1900s, all the way up to the 1950s, when we're starting to see this influence of yogis coming over here, coming to the West to kind of spread these esoteric doctrines. That had to be pretty earth shattering for these Western individuals who've grown up maybe in a exoteric Christian household to be, to hear that the physical world is an illusion it, it it's going to be really perplexing. So that's even something today that we don't um, realize that we might be able to accept that idea, but that was probably met with a lot of resistance. And you would really have to kind of dig deep into yourself to kind of actually see this idea and this Maya that they would say is this, this perceived or illusion, right? And really what we're going to see is, again, this journey of us entering this great white lodge is going to be again it's just coming together of both of these philosophies the visible and the invisible the visible and the invisible the visible and the invisible you know because we do come from the west and we see our creator as this this builder right and that's what one of our responsibilities is at this time it's to build a better world and to build the real world and we right. need that western approach of the will of the be able to collapse waves in this material world to make heaven on earth so we just haven't done that in the past we haven't made heaven on earth it's been more about monetary gain and power and so what we're really kind of be looking to do and what kind of the goal at the end of this podcast is to see how we take this western philosophy that is so embedded in us um take out the beauty of it and then find the beauty in this eastern philosophy and merge them together so again just like how the whole world is unifying at this time as above, so below. If the world's doing it, we're going to kind of do it as well. Exactly. And it's kind of the, the bigger organism, the smaller organism follows. So now as individuals, we're going to follow what that large organism, which is the collection of all humans on earth are doing, which is this like intermingling and this coming together. And that's exactly what we have to do to take these steps to be successful in this Kali Yuga that we find ourselves in. So 
you know, even the approach of the Eastern mystic, you know, the Eastern mystic, Manly Peel has this great quote in here, and he says, the Eastern mystic dreams of the day that they'll have nothing, where the Western dreams of the day that they'll have everything. Okay, and this is like a great balance to kind of take into this situation because we aren't into a spot where we can just kind of sacrifice all of our goods and just live as wanderers anymore um, and be supported by our community. That might have happened in some, you know, that's happened still in India to this day, but we can't really be expected that in maybe our Western society to be supported by, right? you know, the people around us because they don't understand what we would be doing. They would just see us as like, homeless, you know, where in the East, if you kind of give up all your goods and you devote yourself to one of the gods or the Vedas, you get some, I mean, you don't get a a bunch of support, but there's, there's like a whole structure there for that opportunity. Right. Right. So there's a little bit more of a welcoming to dive into this idea of this invisible world that is actually more real than this physical one. And that's what we're talking about today. So in the Vedas, they speak of this time. And again, the Vedas, because it's so old, they do. They, they discuss the times of the days when gods walked with men. Mm-hmm. So they really speak about this, this era before what we call the historical period. Right. So they, they speak about this area that we don't have any historical records for. And they speak about this whole timing of this like evolution of consciousness, really moving away from complete dependency on creation to kind of our own independent salvation that we have to find and that's kind of it's part of the whole evolution of consciousness that we're going through and that's where we kind of find ourselves in so with them having this understanding that you know the invisible is more real than the visible and this is actually the shadow of the invisible world that we're actually living in with that understanding they had this beautiful idea and again this isn't just in india this is going to be seen in almost every culture in their esoteric society there's this idea that there's illuminated individuals, um, some from this life wave and actually some that might be even above this life wave. But there's this organization that sees to the development of humanity and the growth and right. understanding of natural law. And the idea that there is a group that is trying to make, to make the realization of God's great plan expressed in this realm okay so this is a counterpart to when we start talking about you know we we talk about how when you start studying the cult you kind of learn about the dark occult and you can learn how manipulative it is and then you can actually start to follow the dark cult and how it kind of controls things like has influence on things like hollywood and governments and things like that right and so we always get the question of is there a counter to this darker cult? Is there a counter to these like crazy halftime shows, right? Is there a counter to all this abnormal stuff that we're hearing from Holly Weird? And this is it. This is the counter of this. And what this is, is is a council that really just tries to make sure that the will of God plays out in this realm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The divine energy is still connected to, to mankind. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and this is what it administers, okay? And it's set up almost like a corporation, right? He speaks about that. We were just talking about that. Right. He speaks about this as a corporation. So you must have like Godhead as the head, and then there's individuals that help organize the natural law, and then there's individuals that kind of help distribute and speak about that natural law. And this is really why 
if you ever look at Hindu, um, the makeup of the Hindu religion, it's just like loosely organized, but then very organized kind of when you really take a step back of different levels and different gods are represented by different devotees and you kind of focus in um, on a certain aspect of natural law that you kind of you kind of support. So you have individuals who devote themselves to Shiva. You have individuals that devote themselves to the Vedas. And you take up these different kind of dedications that these individuals do. And this is where we see like the gurus and the rishis and all these, these different kind of groups. And from an outsider, it looks kind of like a mess and it's kind of confusing because it's not set up like a traditional hierarchy, like maybe a Western church is um, because they don't really have this governing body, but their governing body isn't of this earth. Right. Right. And again, this is such an old religion. Like Hinduism is, is our, is really our connection to the beginning of civilization as we know it. You know, we, there's a lot misintranslated with Egypt, right? Cause there's like this time we we're still t- like trying to understand what that language is. There's individuals that are alive that speak the Hindu language that was spoken at this time. Right. So there's, there's this dedication and this long timeline that's intact from the Hindu religion that is completely unique to any other esoteric organization. Mm-hmm. And the reason why they say that they've been able to stay intact is because of this invisible hierarchy of government that is here to just administer the great plan of creation and to make sure that the fruitation happens. Right. Okay. You know, so. Well, I was just going to say, it's kind of like, uh, I know they're described as cellas, but the disciples, even the disciples, you know, within um, Christianity, making sure that the message that they receive isn't just, you know, understood by them, but also influenced by this white governing mm-hmm. um, uh, force that continues to aid in that sort of divine energy that is needed for you to carry the message through without there being... Uh, the hands of corruption yet. And even if the disciples do go corrupt or don't understand what they're channeling in, there's someone out there beyond the visible that's kind of influencing that in the heart of man. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's fascinating. Yeah. And because what this organization is all about is just that growth is natural to man. Like Mm -hmm. they kind of speak about, you know, like the flower doesn't have to think about growing. It just, becomes right and so what they're doing is it's not so much like a direct influence they're just making sure that we have the opportunity to become what we need to become because what we become is how the universal creation experiences this experience right Right. it's through us that it's doing it so um it's really kind of this this fostering of this illumination and this this true dedication of, you know, this life, truth, and a law. And so when we talk about natural law and we talk about cause and effect and we talk about integrity and we talk about why moral and ethics are so true and so important, well, this is the governing body that administers this. Right. This is the organization that makes sure that natural natural law stays intact and we stay up to the, to the grace um, and kind of come into a realization of this divine fact or this cosmic plan. And this is how it kind of plays out within us. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I was just going to say that, you know, people have asked this before, you know, and, and to be clear with this topic is what is the moral compass that we're born with? And if there is a moral compass within us, there must be some sort of magnetic force that guides, you know, which way to to direct ourselves in this physical world. And that magnetic force is coming from this invisible gathering of, of individuals who make sure that the progress of man is in the right path in order to progress the universe itself, like to right. actually have this like universal law you're talking about and, and, and the goodwill of man, you know, influence the other, um, components to this existence that we have right now, which is why back to native American culture, you know, they didn't have to be initiated by some other um, individual before them in order to understand why in their culture, there must be this balance between mm -hmm. the seen and unseen and the way to keep the balance of this universe is already within them from the day that they're born. Um, and I feel like that council that we're talking about, this invisible council of light is what's always influenced those who didn't have like a doctrine just yet. They didn't have like a, a written ethos just yet. It was either done by um, oral history, but something inside of them already allows them to have this and to bring it to more of a specific example is sort of like the idea that the forest would give you the weakest animal that was ready to die in order to feed the man that needs to eat. But the man knew that the balance there was to give not only thank, uh, to not only thank the, the, the animal for its nutritional value that it's going to, you know, bestow onto the tribe and whatever, but also there's an exchange. And I feel like any of this stuff that we call instinctual is coming from this council yeah. of light. Yeah. If that makes sense, what I'm trying to say, like, meaning like, if you really were to step into, say you are a Westerner who's now invading the Americas and you find that there's this balance between this tribe and the animals that they actually hunt and the water that they drink and the earth that they roam, we're both roaming the same earth, but there's something that you know that I don't know about. How come I don't know about it? How come you know about it? And it's not that you don't know about it. It's just that you haven't had a chance to let this council counsel you naturally. You were born into already moving and building culture that's told you like, well, there is room for religion, but it's on these days and it's in your own private time. But it, your influence of your purpose on life is more towards conquering this physical land and also building upon it with materials that it that it lends itself to you but that's not the same mm -hmm. you know what i mean that's an influence from another man prior to you mm -hmm. where in the the native american cultures and even before that th what they're guiding themselves by is this council that yeah. we're talking about and it, and it still is connection to god and to everything and to, to deity but does this make sense what I'm no, saying? No, 100%. No, you nailed it on the head actually right there because, and I love how you said counseled by this council because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> and when we go deep and when we need those moments, that's who's actually reaching out to you and speaking, right? right? And you pulled up a really good point when you were talking about, you know, this is kind of what like the pre-religious doctrines probably were. 
And that's exactly what it is we're talking about here. So we'll get into this as we continue through Genesis and when we get to the Tower of Babel. But the Tower of Babel is not only created by Nimrod to, you know, to make it up to heaven, but the Tower of Babel actually separates everybody by language and it makes multiple different languages. And then this is how we kind of have this trouble communicating because now we have our own special tongues. But the Tower of Babel also, when they were talking about those different languages, the esoteric understanding of that is we lost the common spiritual tongue. It wasn't so much verbal so we can talk about things. Yeah, that's going to cause problems if we can't communicate. We might see, you might see something I do as aggressive. If I can't tell you that it's peaceful, we're going to attack each other, right? Mm. Because you might attack me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's this Tower of Babel is going to create that aspect of like, we can't communicate. But deeper, the Tower of Babel means, no, you've lost your universal language of consciousness. So you almost in that aspect are going to now have to come together with what your spiritual understanding is, and you're going to have to create an organization around that. And that's really where we're going to start to see these competition between religions, and we're still in this situation today. Right. Right. But this Tower of Babel is not only the loss of the languages, but it's that loss of that spiritual language for us to not only communicate peacefully with each other, but to tap into these deeper, higher aspects, which is this great white lodge, because we kind of lost this spiritual language. We kind of, again, a lot of people talk about this maybe losing the power of telepathy is actually what the Tower of Babel was like. Maybe we didn't have to speak with verbal words. It used to be more of a mental thing. Again, that kind of is um, a little bit more speculation, but what we're talking about here is just that, that separation Okay, there's like this separation that kind of comes, and now we have like our own religious identities that kind of get created. And some of them have more truth than the others, but the ones that stay deepest to this and kept that spiritual language are the ones that we're going to be able to stay in the most direct contact with this brotherhood, with this directing force of humanity. And those, as we see, those cultures are going to stay the most balanced with the earth, like what we're going right. to see with the Native Americans, what we're going to see with um, you know, the East for the very long time. It wasn't until really Western capitalism gets in there that they started to like tear up their land. But prior to that, right. they would be like, no, we're not going to tear up this beautiful rainforest to make a factory. Like that didn't make sense to them. But now that idea is kind of merged in um, and we have interest over there that kind of makes that stuff move. But this really interesting idea of this Tower of Babel is like this cutoff from the spiritual identity and the spiritual communication is going to not give us like the words to be able to touch this this great light lodge, right? And so this is when we speak about the Native Americans, this is who the elders are. Okay, right. So your elders, like, yes. we, does that make sense? So when you when you sit in like a beautiful ceremony with a Native American, they talk about the elders. Well, these are the individuals in the White Lodge. Okay, if we go to Africa, they're going to speak of them as the ancestors. Okay, if we go to Christianity, they're going to speak of them as the saints. Um, alchemists are going to kind of have their own individuals um, that are going to kind of be a part of this. Okay, any kind of organization, you can kind of start to pick out who these individuals are. And what they are is they're the intermarries between God and humans. And that's right. exactly what saints do. You know, they usually pass on the message of the creator, right? You you meant the good mention about the disciples as well. In Greek mythology, this is the heroes. Right. Right? Because these are the ones that are immortal. Why are they immortal? Is because they have 
you know, sacrificed everything that was human and replaced it with divinity. So their soul is going to live on, their character stays after their death. Exactly. So they're immortal. So that's what we're going to kind of see. So we're going to kind of see these different aspects um, as these, you know, intermarries kind of these individuals that are working on the eternal truth. Yes, of truth. And that's really what we're going to kind of make our way um, to this. But Again, this is also just how powerful of an idea this is, because if we kind of go back to that Tower of Babel thing, Mm -hmm. if we all got broken up with different languages, and this doesn't just happen in the West, this is going to happen in the East as well. I mean, just you go to like, you spend some time in Guatemala, just with the beautiful Mayan communities there, there's, you know, there's so many different languages. There's like 30, there's more of like 60 languages, I want to say, in Guatemala between the Mayan individuals. And that's not talking about dialects. That's talking about completely different languages, right? So one other thing that we have to talk about, but not only losing the spiritual tongue with the Tower of Babel is, how is it then that this idea of this great white lodge penetrates every society? No, doesn't matter that religion has, I mean, it doesn't matter that language has been um, compartmentalized. And, right. you know, all these new languages, why is it that we all have this great white lodge? Why do we cherish the elders and the ancestors and what did we ever talk about with immortality right and this plays a huge role in the gnostics as well yes um you know the gnostics are really going to kind of get into the aspect that jesus actually travels with mary between 13 and 32 and they talk about him going to these these uh, trans himalayan mm-hmm. monasteries almost in the sky to be trained and he actually came back an initiate of the east to spread this information even further in the West to kind of, again, push God's plan right. of love, truth, and wisdom, which is the ultimate the ultimate idea. Um, so we, we're going to have every kind of religious organization speaks of this, this Great White Lodge. And people are going to write about it in the, like right around the Renaissance period, we're going to have a lot of individuals actually writing about this and publishing anonymous kind of like pamphlets. Like if you ever find, like if you ever read like a Manly P. Hall pamphlet, um, they were kind of getting released at this time and people were declaring like they were the Rosy Cross, like the Rosicrucians Mm -hmm. represent this group. Um, And they kind of started to like circulate this all around Europe and they got really, really popular where so many people were actually, they didn't know who to write to, but they wanted uh, admission into this group. So they would actually like publish their kind of the letters to this group in the newspaper just to be like, hey, I'm ready to be, I'm an adept. I want to learn what this is all about. And they were never really contacted. Um, oh, yeah. Understanding. yeah. I remember reading about that. Yeah. Right. And this is, if you ever hear um, the alchemist St. Germain, this yeah. is St. Germain was one of the first pamphlets that kind of went around. Um, there was a couple different, a lot of them were under the name of the Rosy Cross, which mm. is the Rosicrucians, which is going to kind of formulate another group from this. Right. Um, this is what the Freemasons are pretty much based off of. The Freemasons kind of, when you get higher up in that order, really see themselves as these middle people between the higher vibrational beings that are not of this material world and then to the lowest vibrational beings in this material world. They see themselves as that middle person. Right. Right. Um and so this is where these organizations are going to kind of get that idea of this of this kind of this great white brotherhood and this um, great white lodge, we should say. Yeah. Um, and then again, too, you know, um, Freemasons have always been a 
male um, organization, but it wasn't always that case, right? So like the Brotherhood of Light who put their existence just as old as the Freemasons, that was a universal one. It didn't matter if you were a male or female. Um, and then we have stuff like female organizations like Order of the Eastern Star that's going to kind of get developed. So females, males are all going to be participating in this the same kind of way. Yeah. Um, just to kind of... Just to kind of clear that up. Um, well, they're all like the purveyors of truth with other um, influences that lead to the same goal. Right. It's like even, I know uh, Pythagoras, you know, like would uh, exceed or um, he would want from um, individuals to, you know, follow into the steps of understanding uh, like three basic um, principles of knowledge like mathematics right mm -hmm. music mm -hmm. and astrology but if you if you break that down whether it's pythagoras or whether it's like aristotle or plato or even like william shakespeare it's like it, it's all coming from some influence that this is all this is all um brought to you by this council of light that's allowing you to then manifest it in the time that you find yourself in um, by other means, whether it be poetry or like, again, mathematics, but having a general understanding of, of, of these mysteries, um, back to the Rosicrucians or even to, um, uh, you know, talking about, um, Pythagoras, um, there's that same influence that comes from this, this council that, that we're talking about. Right. Right. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, no. And that's, that's exactly it. And, you know, I think one of the big mysteries about this council has always been like, well, how do you, you know, where do they meet? How do you, how do you become a part of this council? Right. Um, and that's the ultimate mystery because you were born into the great white lodge as your birthright. The only person who's keeping you from the great white lodge is yourself. This is an internal organization. Even if you are invited to like, the actual meetings who that's what the medicine man was for in the native Americans. The medicine man was trained from birth. They didn't take any other role other than studying what we're going to understand too is the service of truth, which we're going to cut into, but they were able to travel to these, to these meetings. And they actually like speak about that. And they would, that's how they would kind of initiate the younger medicine man is they would take him to this meeting, take him to put him in front of this council. A lot of individuals speak about being able to leave their body and attend these councils, right? Even C.C. Zane of the Brotherhood of Light talks about like attending the Great White Lodge or attending the Brotherhood of Light. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a thing that might actually exist on like the astral plane. Right. But the only entry is, is there's the only door is within you. But the thing is, is the commitment to join the great white lodge, to join this, this great light, you know, this light, this brotherhood and sisterhood of light is it's a deeper aspiration of spirituality than probably most of us are. We can maybe verbally say that we're about this, but it takes so much integrity and discipline and dedication to get there because what this is, is the only way to get entry into the Great White Brotherhood is to completely change your direction just to the service of truth. Yeah. Right? And that's a really powerful thing because, again, it's, some, it's, it's much easier for us to say, um, 
And it's, it's one of those things, the solution is so simple, but it's so hard at the same time. So what they're looking for is you have to serve in the name of the truth. Right. So that's what we're really kind of understanding is you can't make it to this until you align yourself with this vibration of truth. And when truth is the main aspiration, okay, because a lot of times we... We don't know it, but our spiritual aspirations are lower than we actually think they are. Like we say like, oh, I want to be comfortable in this chaotic world. Well, of course, we all want to be comfortable in the chaotic world. And this could be an impulse for you to go into spirituality, but your comfort can't be the end of your spiritual progress. Right. Your comfort is an effect. It's 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 an aspect that you are rewarded with once you align yourself to truth. But until you align yourself to truth and actually perceive the beauty and the wisdom in every aspect that actually happens to you, whether you perceive it as good or bad, but you actually see the character growth that comes from it. Until you do that, you cannot have comfort and peace. You can't manifest comfort and peace. It's an outcome of servicing to the truth. Oh, well said, man. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to like add to what you're saying, I know that there's a like to quote Manly P. Hall on one of the lectures, I like that he explains that the esoteric system is all based upon the ultimate motive. And that ultimate motive is a service of truth itself and, and a complete dedication to the service of the realities of existence. And so, I mean, he says it multiple times in his lectures and, and I know other individuals as well that we study up on, you know, make this claim. Um, but you're, you're dude, you just nailed it. It's exactly right. Like it's not going to, it has to be done from within and it has to be, there's no way of faking it. There's no way of beating around the bush with it, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's where, that's where a lot of people, I think maybe um, hold back from, from getting there based on their circumstances on the physical realm is that they, they realize, you know, like my life isn't prepared enough right now for me to take on this truth. And it's like, no, 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 it's not, that's not it. It's, it's not a, it's not a matter of like, acquiring as much as it is a matter of letting go Mm -hmm. and, and understanding how to let it in, you know, but you know, easier said than done. Easier said than done. And again, you know, we, if I'm speaking to the individuals that kind of grew up in a Western culture, but you can counter this with the Eastern as well. So you can kind of just take the inverse of it. But in the West, if we kind of grew up in this like kind of Western culture, I could say that maybe the, the stuff you spiritually need to do is it needs to be almost like letting go. Mm-hmm. And in the East, if you grew up in a very like Eastern culture, it might be like, maybe you need to really empower the will a little bit more and, you know, stand up for your spiritual beliefs, like kind of thing like that. Right. And there's like this middle that we're meeting in. And again, depending on where you are on that polarity, it doesn't matter if you were born in the West or the East, you can kind of know where you need to come into. But we do know that the will is very important, but we also know that this detachment is very important as well, right? And how do you kind of make this, how do you kind of make this middle ground happen? When we kind of have can make this merge happen, we can really actually start to perceive this all-encompassing idea of truth. And it's that alignment that we kind of pull ourselves to. And it's, it's, again, it's, it's the knock that is going to get us into the most secret doors. Yes. Is that service to truth, right? Well said. Right. You know, and that's, again, this is why Jesus is the way. Right. And he is the way, this is the way through. And he's showing us that, you know, the only way for you to actually survive in this, in this world and become immortal 
is by completely devoting yourself to the truth. Because even in the West, we have this like understanding of like spirituality, but with spirituality, if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of spirituality that we hear from in the West promises ideas of like, you're going to be able to manifest a lot better. You're going to be able to create the most beautiful world around you. You're going to get that house of your dreams and stuff like that. But that's not what it's all about. You know, that can't be the end game is manifesting, right? So, so again, we have to push that even aside of going to spirituality so I have a better life or I find love. All these things that we put on that aspect is what keeps us from entering the Great White Lodge. Yes. Because the only thing that the Lodge wants is your service to truth, right? And you have to accept it and you have to be able to see in every situation, you have to see the divine purpose and not only experiences, but events, things, you know, connections. You have to see the divine purpose in all things at all time. Right. It's a huge undertaking to take. It's a lifetime to take. And we understand that we're never going to fully be able to perceive truth, but we can perceive more truth each and every day. Right. Right. But this has to be the ultimate goal, and this has to be the ultimate cause of the effects that you actually want to manifest. So again, it's a little bit more difficult for us um, to kind of connect on that that previous statement, because in the West it is kind of like a giving away that we kind of have to do. We kind of have to give away some control that we want to have. Cause in the West we do kind of have this, Oh, I'm the master builder. I'm going to control this situation where the Eastern mystic will kind of look at you. And again, I quote this song all the time. I probably should give Rolling Stones some money after this point, but like, you know, you can't always get what you want, but you will get what you need. Right. And that's really what this, like this whole service of truth is. It's just like, you don't know what you need. You know, there's so many times we make statements like, you know, um, like I've made statements before. I've heard people make statements before like, okay, yeah. So I was talking to an individual, right? And she was like, oh, I met this individual, but I just made a commitment to myself a month ago that I didn't want to date for a whole year. But now I've met this person who I'm like head over heels with, but I have to call it off because I really want to sustain my commitment. Okay, this is a Western idea of looking at this idea because yes, you you imposed your will on this situation, right? And you you made a stance for yourself and say you've been in a lot of destructive relationships and you want to do this and you want right. to foresee this out. You intuitively need to feel it out though because what you want and what you need is different. So how do you know that you just making that commitment didn't just pull this person in? That might be a really important person to you, okay? Now it all comes down to personal reflection because it could be a test of like, oh, you know, I made this commitment, but now this person's introduced to me and I don't know what to do. That's probably what it needs. It probably just needs reflection, but it needs your reflection and it needs you to process this through and not so much just making these like blanket statements because now you're stepping in front of universal law. Now you're stepping in front of natural law. You're stepping in front of cause and effects because like you don't know what you need. So we kind of go through these circumstances. Sometimes we make these like bold statements like that, you know, and I, I just use that one as an example, but we do them all the time in the right. West, you know, like, oh, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. That's like your ego pretty much talking through you. You know what I mean? Because it's more be like, you should step back and be like, why is this experience happening? Right. You know, and then you could take the step back. And if you still want to be independent and you don't feel like you're ready, perfect. But don't just attach yourself to a statement that your will made 
that now the universe has kind of brought in a different kind of perspective on. It's like, how do you know? You know what I mean? Because again, this is, truth is this topic that you could study your whole life and, you know, just scratch off a little bit of the surface of. So it really kind of brings that evaluation aspect down and really start to not be living in the future and not be living in the present and not be living in the past, but becoming more in the present. Right. And you can only do that once you start releasing things. You can't hold on to everything and be in the present at the same time. It's impossible. Exactly. You can't, you know, you can't hold all of your books and your phone and two hands and think you're going to be able to hold a cup of coffee and enjoy it and have a conversation, right? Because you're holding so many things at this point. And that's kind of where we, this fine line that either side, whatever polarity you're kind of coming from, you have to kind of be able to maintain that balance, you know, because on the other end, there's individuals that don't instill the will and they get pushed by the whole universe and they just kind of just sit there and get pushed back and forth, right? And they never get direction and they never actually formulate their plans and they just are like grass blowing in the wind forever. Well, that's right? why I always said that exoteric knowledge has always been useless because it's amazing to read all the books you want to read and get the degrees you want to get. But if you don't have anything that allows you to earn truth, if you can't earn truth through the embodiment or the um, idea of just like, bombarding yourself with years and years worth of like notations and, and different um, uh, acquired studies. You can't, if it's not, if it's not aiding you in, in how you let truth in and all you're doing is according and according to your will, um, you know, you're getting in the way of your own self. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and you'll find this in individuals. If you ever get to meet, I've, in geriatrics, uh, side note, I've met a, a handful of people at their end of their life, and they've had different degrees and diplomas, and they've climbed ladders, but it's all useless in the time that they're lying there, and they can't even move or even use this knowledge because even people don't take someone as seriously, even if they have all of this um, knowledge in their mind because it's just nothing they can take with them into the world of truth. And truth is already understood by, say, the innocence of a child. So a child doesn't care what you understand about the philosophy of different individuals that was passed on by many, many years. It's fascinating that people have written them down and put them in history books, but is it something that's going to aid you in this idea of truth where you don't see each other by the number of years that you are, but by the complete understanding that something else in another force is controlling the energy that we are perceiving uh, to be life. And I feel like that's when you have this complete full circle between someone who's elderly and a child who's just getting their life started. And that's where truth lies. So it's very complicated to get to the, the truth because I think a lot of people have been taught that acquiring knowledge of just like, again, books and exoteric um understandings is what's going to give you the ultimate truth in order to get to a place where this divine counsel lies. And that's not true. So it's much harder to like try to revert or go back to a place of surrendering. It's kind of what I always say about the airplane thing. So here's the thing about the airplane thing. When I was a kid, I remember meeting someone who was, um, an atheist and, uh, and on my father's side of the family, a lot of people are not religious. And and by religious, I mean they just sort of surrender to the idea of, of Roman Catholicism, even though we were all Catholics. And I just remember that um, I called 
I would call it out as a kid that if we were on an airplane and the airplane had a sudden turn of events where, you know, physically the laws of physics are allowing you to realize your mortality. It's kind of funny how if it goes into an airplane that you say to people before they take off, show of hands, what's your spiritual belief or spiritual understanding? And there might be a 60-40 there, 60 non-40 that are. But something about when the plane's for sure going to go down, it, it kind of turns to like m- maybe 5 and 95. Mm-hmm. And the 5 might be that one guy who's like, I'm still sticking to it. Like, I don't care. Like, he's, like he's the guy who's still drinking his coffee as the plane's going yeah. down because he's like, there's nothing after this. Mm-hmm. But almost everyone else, even if they didn't even go to uh, any kind of religious um, schooling, will have this intuitive need to either let their sins be pardon or at least have an acknowledgement that they weren't the best version of themselves or and, and while i'm saying to put a pause on this you know plane coming down to the ground is that that's where truth lies it's mm-hmm. a very interesting place but that's the truth that we're talking about in so many ways not just the one ultimate but i'm saying what is that and who are you talking to if you didn't ever even have a imagine if you never went to bible study and you didn't even know of the word of jesus and you were completely you know, uh, only had an understanding of this like Islamic approach, you still have this like instinctive feeling to sort of connect with a deity that sort of is witnessing the physical death, but also like allowing you to sort of have this last conversation with yourself that opens that door to truth. Mm -hmm. And then the plane writes itself out and everyone's like, I don't know what that was. Right. And then it goes back to, you know, everyone goes back to their own lives and, you know, mm-hmm. and then you can't wait to tell people about the crazy experience you had. Some individuals though will be changed for the rest of their life and be like, right. Oh, whatever I just opened up, whatever door I just knocked on, it actually opened and there's no denying it yeah. anymore. And it's a very interesting thing that it has to come down to something so intense, like man making an airplane that flies and travels us from one place to another. And then maybe the chance of it going wrong for then do you have this like experience, but mm-hmm. you're going to find more and more as we advance in technology that the opportunities to knock on that door are going to become more and more difficult. You'd have right. to get lost in the desert and find yourself at the mercy of just, you know, the last drop of, of, of moisture in your mouth to finally say, okay, well, this is it. And then, you know, you will, you will find, um, something that lies between like above and below, but it's like, I just don't think we have to go through something so existential or so intense in order to, to get there. But, um, I don't know if that makes sense. hundred percent. No. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much what we were talking about with the process of alchemy. Like don't wait until calcination comes right? start calcination now. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's so true. And I love that. I love the, the example of the plane and that, what that traumatic event can kind of do for spirituality. Um, you know, and as we were kind of thinking about it, cause I was talking about the now, you know, it is, it's one of those things when we get into this present moment, you can be in the present moment peacefully, but you can also be in the present moment and kind of feel like you're getting bombarded. Right. And our, and our little selves, this like, lower self of us kind of sees this as this chaotic happening. Um, and it's this chaotic happening of it's not only what we've kind of, um, you know, it's not only what we feared of the future and those like self-fulfilling prophecies that we're seeing kind of come up in our present, but it's also kind of what we feared in the past and all the regrets of the past kind of resurfacing. So we kind of struggle to stay afloat in this 
the sea of perceived randomness. And this is kind of goes along with the truth, because what this truth does is it puts an order to that randomness, which is so, so very important. So the only way out of this whirlpool of this current moment that feels like everything we didn't want, we were fearing about the future and everything we regretted from the past, all making itself present again, the only way into this is, again, that surrendering to the moment. And it's that surrendering to what our true highest aspiration an individual can do, which we spoke about is this truth. And within this truth is the unfoldment of everything, of all things. And truth can only be experienced through the dedication of the individual to truth. So it's a very interesting thing. We can see glimpses of the truth, like you were saying in this, this plane accident or this potential plane accident. But the only time that we'll actually see the benefits of this is we have to dedicate ourselves to truth prior, which is a precursor to be able to actually perceive truth. So you actually have to dedicate yourself to truth before you actually can truly start to perceive truth. Mm. And it's that leap of faith. And this is why it's so difficult, because you actually have to verbally or in, you know, intuitively be like, there is an order to this chaos. The chaos, the order doesn't come before the chaos is over. It's when you make this acceptance that there is order to this chaos that you can actually start to perceive this chaos. Right. Right? Yeah. And so this is why you would have like a baptism and stuff. What the baptism really is expecting, experiencing is you accepting the order of the chaos. And once you take that, you can actually start to perceive the order because you have this like higher aspect. Okay? So again, the dedication to the truth is the first step that we have to take. We have to get dedicated to truth. We have to say that there is an objective reality that when I'm not aligned with, I feel pain. When I am aligned with, I grow. And that's the first leap of faith that we kind of have to take. Um, and then this truth will be the cause of the peace that we want in our life. Okay, the, the effect of truth is peace. And that's kind of what we're all going for. That's what we're looking for in this this age that we find ourselves in. But it's so important that it's not even so much a thinking thing, but it's a feeling and a knowing that you have to give yourself. Right. Right? You know, because the the caterpillar doesn't think its way to the cocoon, right? It knows its way. Like, it, it blossoms as an enfoldment of an already contained code within the caterpillar. Right. Right? It doesn't, it's, the older caterpillar is not telling the younger caterpillar, this is what you have to do in the cocoon. It's unfolding itself. It's given into that truth. It's not fighting within us. So again, this truth is within us. The seed of enlightenment is not going to be in a book. It's not going to be in this podcast. The seed is always going to be within you. You know, and me and you can come up here. We can share experiences. We can tell people what fostered our growth. We can talk about what, you know, impedes on our growth. But nobody can water your seed for you other than you. Exactly. Right? You know, the alchemist can help fan your flame, get you excited. You know, we could hear an inspirational story told by you that just like pushes me to be better that day. Or you send me a photo that like a meme that just like totally kicks me into gear, but you didn't water that seed for me. Right? You just kind of helped flan that flame. So this great white lodge is within you. And the only key is the complete dedication to truth. Um, we make the offering of our small human plan to the ultimate dedication plan, the ultimate plan. So right. there's a sacrifice that's been made. We're, we're sacrificing our lower aspirations, our lower desires for the aspirations and desires of 
the creator. Mm -hmm. And it's the ultimate sacrifice that we kind of make. And it's such an important aspect because this is the offering that will make the the accomplishment of the divine plan. And it's only when we completely surrender to this that we will be in the graces of this great right lodge, right? And it kind of reminds me of the story of the oak tree. Um, I think I might've spoken about this before. Now I've heard it from different Native American groups um, and they kind of, it depends on like what tree was sacred to them. Yeah. But it works really well with the oak tree. And so in uh, Native American mythology, and if I miss up the story a little bit, I do apologize. So I'm saying that it is a word of mouth story. Um, So in Native American mythology, when the creator was making the whole world, um, it was going through all the trees and the palm trees are like, oh, I need to be near the ocean. I need to be near the sea. It needs to be this. I need to have moisture. So he puts the palm trees there. The saguaro cactus is like, oh, I need to be in the desert. It has to be dry. I can't have much this. Everybody's having these, I need this, need, 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 need this, right? The pine tree is like, oh, I need high altitude. So when the creator gets to the oak tree, he asks the oak tree, where do you need to go? And the oak tree just says, wherever you need me to be. And the creator looked at it and goes, okay. And that's why he has oak all around the world. Because he was just like, you need to be everywhere because you get it. You want, you had no will of your own. You had no desire other than what is going to be the benefit to the great plan. And how can I make the biggest impact on the great plan? And that's your entry into the brotherhood of light. That's your entry into the white lodge. It's when you sacrifice our small aspirations for these things that we think we need for the ultimate aspiration of the evolution of consciousness. Of I love what you, man. It needs. I love you, man. <laughs> um, but isn't that the greatest story in the it's world? It's the great. No, yeah, and that's yeah. that's the best story that I can relate to. To not involve anybody's ego, but everybody's understanding of what it takes to enter this lodge Mm -hmm. and by anybody's ego i just don't i mean like you individualizing yourself to say well i guess i have to be everywhere it's like not just i but you know we and how we have to be there for the greater cause to find truth as a collective without having to really have an agenda but more surrender to where do you need me to be right now yeah that's that's a great story it's the best man it's and it's just the final goal of everybody who wants to become this disciple is, you know, how do we become an instrument in the fulfillment of this ultimate divine plan originated by deity, administrated by this hierarchy, and then spread through spiritual teachers, which mm-hmm. is all of us in the situation. So right. we are just spreading this grand design. And that's why this grand design makes so much sense. That's why this grand design is within us. That's why, you know, it takes a second to kind of jump into the esoteric and the occult where other subjects have these large learning curves. It's not so much the case in esoteric spiritual studies. Like you just open up and it's like, you almost like get into the lobby of the great white lodge right away. And then you start to kind of start climbing those steps. Right. And then you have like those 33 levels and all these things. So we're going to start to see kind of these collections, but, um, but yeah, when I got that, told that story, of the oak tree. It was in a peyote ceremony. And my jaw was just like open. Like everybody was like trying to be able to, and I like, once I heard that story, I was just like, Oh, and like, I was just like looking to everybody around me and everybody's like in their thing. And they're like, just shut up, Daniel. I'm like, was that not the greatest story in the That's world? Incredible. And like, but it was just the most amazing thing. Cause it's such a perfect example of what our role is. Right. You know? And when we talk about, you know, detachment, when we, it's not just so much just getting rid of your physical things. It's 
the, it's more the detachment of those like desires of these things that we think we need. You know, we think we need relationships. We think we need these cars. And of course we need like shelter. We want love and it's great things when we do find love. And these are all important experiences, but these will all come to you. What you really need will come to you if you make this dedication first and right. you kind of make this approach. So um, yeah, you know, again, and I think you and I, can be the biggest attestment to this, that this is a lifelong dedication that you say you want to do um, and you're kind of tested and challenged on it every day. But again, that's why we have to be grateful for these challenges because it's just the creator asking like, are you really ready, ready for oh, entry yeah. into this group? Yep. You know? Um, so we're going to just do our best every day um, to make that journey up those, up those great grand stale or stairs. It's all that's that's all we need is to be reminded that you know when you're tested that that's what this is and how do you navigate through such a circumstance and uh, that happens to us all the time you and I it happened when I walked in today and you told me the news I did tell you the you news. know what I mean so like that was crazy that was and you know it was but like how you handle that situation and how you're handling that situation. Um, is an attestment to your character. Oh, thanks. And your integrities, you know, um, and you see the bigger plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there's just, there's no way around it. There's nothing I can do about it. And, you know, what Daniel's referring to is uh, my wedding just got canceled. Uh, We've had a lot of planning in the last year. And due to uh, unforeseen circumstances with wildfires, um, the, the wedding has been canceled. And this like calmness came over me. And I don't mean this as in like, look at me, I can prevail over uh, this circumstance. That's not it. It's just like what I say I believe and what I believe is that, you know, what's meant to be is meant to be and what's not meant to be is meant to be let go of and not, you know, something that derails my my idea of like what I was going to do uh, during this period of time that we would experience this this marriage. I mean, you know, it's just those are all just like, lower hanging fruit as far as like the legality and the location and the planning. And the, it's just like, you know, if this is how it gets, if this is how it unfolds, then, then I'm okay. Like I surrender, like there's no, there's no need for anger or, or even disappointment. It's just an interesting, um, curve that you just navigate through, you know? And, and, uh, and, uh, and I feel at peace and that's all I can really say. So, yeah. No, and that's awesome. And that's a great example to kind of take this, take this in. Cause I think I handled it worse when I realized I couldn't say my best man speech. I'm like, but I, I love it. So <laughs> they'll excited. be, they'll be another time. Right. It's okay. Um, but yeah, no, man, I think that's a perfect example. I think this is this great white lodge is such a good aspect to think about when we are meditating on this Kali Yuga. Cause we, I know we've had so many people be like, after we did those episodes, we're just like, oh, like, what is the point? Yeah. Well, this is the point. This is the point. You know, you're on the best team. And this team, this divine plan, it doesn't matter how many incarnations it does. It doesn't matter how many times we have to maybe redo this civilization. This is the team that's going to win. This plan will come. It will unfold. Yes. There's nothing in the universe that can stop it. Um, depending on when it does, well, that comes down to individuals, whether they're actually going to you know, live in service to this truth and live in service to God's will and um, really participate in true love. But it's it comes down to us. But so we don't know when it's going to happen, 
but it is going to happen. Right. You know, and we just want to be part of our lifetimes. Exactly. Right. And that's why we are kicking so much ass every day. Like everybody who listens to this podcast, exactly. right? We're all trying to be a little bit better. Right. right. We're trying to be a little bit brighter. So again, high fives to each and every one of you and triple high fives to you for Tandle and the wedding things. So <laughs> all good, man. I, I have great people in my life that, you know, um, are the example that, uh, that um that i like to follow you know by because they're here for me regardless of what and you're one of them and and those who i love um also in my life um are there for me no matter what so it's like nothing really changed just the the circumstance of the location and so like that's going to happen all the time in our lives yeah. you know so at this point in my time i'm i'm just i'm okay to be here still and mm-hmm. you know uh Again, there'll, there'll be something more exciting down the pipeline. Like the plan, the plan has just merely changed. That's yes. all, and not by me, and not by her, and and that's okay because that 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 makes it even more exciting. It's like, oh, yeah, what does God have planned for your exactly? Wedding? What what is happening yeah. here? So so that's that's thrilling for me more than a tragedy. Um, so uh, yeah, man, thanks, yeah, man. Then I got you right here with me too, so it's, it's not like best. I feel alone in it. Best you know? Friday morning ever. So um, cool, man. Well. Um, there's not much more I want to add to this, but the Great White Lodge, um, you know, a lot of it can be found um, depending on where you go and research this. But, you know, just understand that this Brotherhood of Light uh, will probably bring this up more often than not uh, through the second season. But, you know, um, we'll have an, other discussions regarding these um these principles that we always bring to the forefront, even if we're talking about something specific like Genesis. And so, um Yeah. Game on, man. Until next time, then? Until next time. All right.